Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long. What's that all about? Just a poem, one of Johnny Diamond's favorites. Let's see. Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long, singing a song in search of El Dorado. Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, take a sip on a nice cold drink. It's Elder Pado, Season 3 of Support Your Local Podcast, where we take a look at the 1966 John Wayne classic, El Dorado, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Uh, today we'll be taking a look at Chapter 8, Regaining Respect. But before we do, just wanted to welcome everybody back. Uh, we should be coming back from our Christmas hiatus episodes. I hope you guys enjoyed those. Hope everybody had a happy holidays, and we are officially one half of the way through our movie. So uh, hidden towards the ending. Let's see how it goes. We left off last chapter with JP, the Duke, and uh, James Kahn running into a back alley, and we start our chapter this week with Bull slowly walking across the street to be on the lookout, or is he? Dun, dun, dun. We get the slow ragtime piano sound in the background, and I, I think it is, it's diagenic to the scene. I don't think it's the score. And we cut to the three making it to the backside of the saloon, and all of them are seemingly out of breath, and again, as I mentioned at the end of last episode, this is why I wondered why they all of a sudden decided to start jogging back there. You know, everyone was just kind of moseying on, bowl included, just a, a second ago. And and for whatever reason, the sheriff just decided to jog on. Now, just like when they ran up to the church, they're winded. And it's not in as good a shape to go into battle as they could have been. So I have to question the thought behind why they would do that. But anyway, uh, JP tells Mississippi and Cole to sneak in the back door and they might not even notice them, but give him some time to make it to the front door at least. As JP stumbles, stopping at every post along the way to catch a wave of sobering up, Mississippi asks if they should let JP do this. To which the Duke replies, I'd hate to be the one to try to stop him. And that the fact they laughed at him earlier will make the difference. Fingers crossed. That takes me back to my previous comment a couple episodes ago. When, when they laughed at him and Cole pointed out that they'd been laughing at him for months. He was just too drunk to notice. This infuriated JP to the point of not only smashing a perfectly good full bottle of whiskey, but to go clamoring for his gun belt to go kill every last one of them. Even in the saloon as he was getting the bottle, his hand jerked in reaction to their laughter by grabbing for a non-existent gun. So sobering up or not, the adrenaline of the gunfight clearing his head or not, Cole was witness to the anger in the jail. The, the trying to put on his gun belt. So he knows full well the murderous intent the sheriff had. So 
Why would anyone think any differently than the fact that JP could very well just walk in there and just start blasting? Question mark. Uh, Bull gives JP the wave ahead, so either the coast is clear or this is Bull's chance to finally be free. We'll see. The the sheriff in turn waves the the go-ahead to Cole, and he tells Mississippi if he has to use that blaster, make sure which way it's pointed, which, spoiler, may prove to be Chekhov's Swede gun. We'll see. Uh, Apparently, the back door to the saloon is the back stock room, and it must be unlocked. Question mark? So anyone who wanted to just walk into the the back room from the door and take some food and booze, I mean, hell, that's, that's way easier than the embarrassment that JP goes through asking for a bottle at the counter. You know, why, why didn't he just sneak in back and roll a barrel of booze out and across the street going, yippee, all the way. Just picturing Robert Mitchum doing that. You're welcome. Uh, JP walks through the batwing doors holding his rifle and it catches the attention of everyone well, everyone except the guy passed out on the table in the background in front of the saloon. Nice little touch. Seeing the giant longhorns along the walls and the, the familiar bartender, it's it's only now that I've realized that this saloon is, in fact, the just saloon from earlier. So that said, Bull said that this bar was Bart Jason's place. So Jason owns this saloon, which, you know, whatever, wealthy businessman, I'm I'm more surprised at the fact that this is the bar that the sheriff would choose this one to frequent for his nightly bottle. I mean, you know, this is the saloon, but there's a saloon and lodging right across the street. Is, you know, is that too fancy a joint for our drunkard sheriff? Question mark. Anywho, uh, Jason and Nels McLeod are, are having a drink at the back table and Bart asked what the sheriff wants. So JP tells him he wants two things. To kick ass and chew bubblegum. And he's all out of bubblegum. No, no, he, he didn't say that, but that would have been epic to have Roddy Roddy Piper lift a, a badass Robert Mitchum Western moment. I'm just saying. The sheriff does want two things. First, to get the guy that came running in here, to which he's interrupted by the foreman of Jason's that no one came a running in here. And the bartender, which is Robert Mitchum's real life brother, leans under the bar for something, but before we find out what he's stopped by the sheriff and told to get away from there. And the Duke uses this moment of confusion to topple a barrel down in the back and draw the attention of Nels McLeod and his gang. Nels reaches for his gun, but the Duke already has his rifle pointed on him, stopping him from making the, the foolish move of drawing. Cole tells Mississippi to keep both barrels of the Swede special pointed at that table, and it's consisting of Nels, the foreman, and Bart Jason. He then invites the sheriff to continue on. It's at this point that Bull comes in the batwing doors. Um, now that he knows the chances of his coup becoming to fruition right now are, are you know, slim and none. He, he does glance at the guy passed out at the front table for a second. And after deciding that he poses no threat, he, he joins in on the group. The, the sheriff asked if no one came a running in here. Why is there a trail of blood leading right up to the table that Jason and he are sitting at? JP then turns his notice to the piano player, playing Shoe Fly Don't Bother Me, very poorly, and, and says, Joe, you sure are playing a lot of sour notes on that piano. Joe turns and frighteningly says, I know I am. So I wonder if he had also heard the story from the Swede, and knowing the piano player blaster is in the same room as he, he's panicking, 
maybe. Uh, you know, maybe the piano player that the blind man shot was like this guy's dad, and he's just following in the footsteps of, you know, numerous generations of Joe the piano players. Well, maybe. He then tells Joe, well, you don't look very happy. To which Joe says, I'm not. Wouldn't you like to move away from that piano, Joe? You're darn right I would. To which the sheriff hollers, well, move, before blasting it top and bottom with his rifle. Uh, Joe's safely out of the way, by the way. He didn't, he didn't meet the fate as his, you know, his dad. After the, the two shots, a man pushes away the piano and he comes running out from behind uh, before he gets one last shot from JP to the gut, toppling down onto a, a poker table. And a couple things. First, before I forget, when the guy runs out and is shot, there's a nice touch that the window behind him gets shattered from the shot. And they're obviously not really shooting people on this movie. Um, so the window had to be rigged to explode with like a squib or something. But I found it to be a great effect. And once again, the director worrying about realistic things and continuity. You know, that window could just as easily have been left alone. And I'm sure no one would have batted an eye about it. But by taking the time to do it and make it happen, you now have a very more realistic, more violent death for this guy. And the fact the window was blown out behind him, you get the feeling that the rifle shot from the sheriff not only hit him, but actually tore through him. And, and it impacted the window behind him. So, you know, owie. And secondly, the man was hiding behind the piano. So why did that make Joe play sour notes? Um, I mean, if he was hiding inside it, I could see it, but not behind it. You know, was Joe just that nervous from this all was happening and they're just using him as a hiding spot, so it's causing them to play poorly? You know, was Joe actually doing it on purpose to get the sheriff's attention? Is is Joe like the anti-bowl? You know, he's spying on Jason for the sheriff. You know, is, is there like a departed movie going on here where, you know, Bull is the mole for the bad guys and Joe is the mole for the good guys and... You know, does that make Bart Jason the Jack Nicholson character? And does that make Robert Mitchum the Alec Baldwin character? Because, you know, fast forward about 55 years and, um, well, Alec Baldwin in a, in a Western is, is not a good time for anyone. But uh, the, the sheriff has a quick flash of his stomach woes and he, he does manage to cock his rifle and shoot at the bar. The, the bartender had been reaching again for something underneath and and, well, you know, the sheriff did warn him to get to the other end of the bar. Uh, for his trouble, the bartender had his hand on top of the bar right where the sheriff's bullet hit. And he quickly stands up straight with these giant splinters um, sticking out of the, the palm of his hand. And even by today's standards, it's a, it's a pretty gnarly looking effect. Uh, this was the '60s, so I'm, you know, I'm not sure how something this violent passed censors and such. But you know, I mean, in a movie where people are shot six and seven times in the torso without bleeding, uh, you know, a kid blows his brains out without any brains. You know, this is this is pretty gnarly, and uh, it's not a nice thing to do your brother, Robert Mitchum. Somehow the bartender doesn't scream out in pain or anything, but you know, like shit, like my hand hurts whenever I watch it, and. I mean, like, this dude looks like he just high-fived the back of a fucking porcupine. Let's, let's be real. For, for another thing, what exactly was the bartender thinking? You know, I, I mean, the first time, 
it's just JP there, you know, so drunken, slow down sheriff. Let's just grab my problem solver from under the bar. You know, I, I, I get that. But at this point, the sheriff is standing there with a rifle. Having just killed a man, Bull is standing right behind the sheriff with his gun. You know, whether, whether Bull's in on the conspiracy or not, Cole Thornton is standing just across the room and is actually facing towards the bar. Mississippi has a gun that could single-handedly destroy the entire bar facing him. Much like the idiocy of Fancy Vest in, in our first, uh, I think it was the first chapter, maybe second chapter. How do you envision this ending? Question mark. Uh, the sheriff then tells the foreman to stand and that he wants to hear him laugh. Laugh for me! Before cracking him in the ribs with the, the gun barrel. And he then turns his attention to Bart Jason, who's having a little bit of a hard time meeting the eye contact of the sheriff. And the sheriff wants to hear Jason laugh. So this is quickly becoming like a thing for him. You know, is this JP's version of the, the Joker's, you know, why so serious? And uh, he cracks Bart Jason across the bridge of the nose with the rifle, sending him falling to the ground. And JP then cocks the rifle and just may be ready to do what I talked about earlier when Cole intervenes and is serving as the, you know, the good force ghost, bringing, bringing him back from the dark side before it's too late. Jason's now standing there, and he's got a nasty-looking bruise slash gash slash thing across his, his cheek and eye. And he asks McLeod if he's just going to sit there and do nothing, to which the smart McLeod realizes, well, there's not a whole lot he can do right now, is there? Jason offers him $1,000 the day he busts him out of jail, which, dude, at this point, there's really not a whole lot in the way of evidence in regards to Bart Jason's involvement in the shooting of the McDonald kid. You know, he was sitting in the bar playing cards when the sheriff himself can attest to it right before the shooting. You know, they've, they've killed the three men that every one of the witnesses say were involved, and Jason continued to be at the same table with the same people right after the shooting. So what exactly is he going to be charged with? You know, who is, who's going to serve as a witness that Jason gave the order to do the shooting? You know, this is, this is over a century before the RICO laws where, you know, you can charge the ringleader of a group with the individual crimes of his subordinates. You know, it's, it's a century before those even existed. But if you say stupid shit like that to McLeod, you know, in front of that many of the good guys as witnesses, well, you're kind of setting yourself up. The sheriff tells McLeod that he's going to have a hard time collecting that money because if he takes one step towards that jail... He's going to shoot Jason. And all the while, our friends Milton Pedro are over either shoulder of JP. And throughout the shot, the bartender is back there staring at his horribly skewered hand. They, they take Jason into custody, backing their way out of the jail. And I notice as they are walking out the door that all of the shooting and racket must have finally woken up our drunk at the table because it's now empty. And as they walk out and down the boardwalk, picture with me, Bowl is facing forward, leading the way. The Duke is on the other side of Jason, on the street side, looking, on, looking into the street for anyone you know, feeling froggy. 
The sheriff is facing forward, leading Jason by the arm. He's on the bar side of the board, of the boardwalk. Mississippi is in the back, facing the back of Jason. So maybe you are you already kind of see my problem with this. Yes, they have Jason surrounded. But not one of them is facing the bar. They walk right past the windows of the saloon that still contains all those bad guys. And no one even looks into it until Mississippi is almost past and glances in. Just a problem. They cross the street, you know, now with Mississippi and Cole facing the back while Bull and the sheriff are facing toward the jail. So at least they have some good, uh, you know, I've got your six on that part. We, we cut to a shot of the McDonald lady that shot Cole earlier in a window with her rifle. And she's watching them across the street. And no one seems to notice because, well, she's on the same side of them that the saloon would have been the right side of those that are facing the sheriff's office. Uh, piss poor guarding. They somehow make it safely inside and the sheriff and Cole walk Jason back to the cell. Mississippi is closing the front door, but he takes a peek outside prior. And when Bull asks what's going on, he tells him that there's someone out there with a gun, which Bull says exactly what I was thinking. Shouldn't be a surprise as everyone seems to be armed in this town. It's, you know, it's kind of like in the Aladdin movie, you know, the, the real one, not that piece of garbage live action one. You know, he has a sword. Wait, we've all got swords. When my kids listen to this, this is, this is going to be a good chuckle for them. And uh, Mississippi goes back out the door and he's looking to see who's over at the livery pointing a rifle at them. Bull says he'll give him five minutes before he comes after him and then shuts and locks the door behind him. So... Bull is evil theory moment here. Maybe, just maybe, Bull is thinking, wow, this might work in my favor after all. The sheriff and Cole lock up Jason and warn him that if he wants more than bread and water until the marshal arrives, he better keep quiet. With Jason locked in his cell, the sheriff locks the door to the cells as well before finally exhaling and showing the full impact of what has just gone down in these past 10 minutes or so. The, the Duke actually does not take the easy layup for another caddy comment, and he tells JP that you know he was actually pretty darn good in there. And JP knows, however, that they were lucky because no one expected him to be able to do much in his condition. You know, his his hangover was the reason it all worked. And he was too mad to be scared and too sick to worry about it. And it's it's really a great character beat from Mitchum. They they both know that next time won't be so easy as they will be expecting him to be okay. And JP takes a sip of coffee and immediately grabs his stomach and says, So, say, <clears throat> who was it that came up with that concoction you poured in me? And Bull says, Mississippi. The Duke says, hey, where is Mississippi? The Sheriff says, who is Mississippi? Which, bing, on our scoreboard, keeping track. But anywho, the Duke says, where is Mississippi? The Sheriff says, who is Mississippi? And from the jail cell in the back, Drax says, why is Mississippi? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Bull tells the Duke where Mississippi went to, to look for someone with a gun at the livery, and the Duke says, well, he ought to know better than that. And Bull offers to go get him, 
And the sheriff scolds Bull that he should know better than that. And Bull says, and, and I quote, First time in two months, I felt like doing nothing for you. Now you don't want me to do it. And there's a great look of dumbfounded confusion on the two shot of John Wayne and Robert Mitchum. And as JP says, was there something wrong with that or was it just my hangover? And I think that this is an ad lib after a shot of Bull flubbing a line. As, as we go through the trivia on IMDb, there's, there's several instances of mix-ups that were left in the movie and actually called out with added lines. But, you know, one way or the other, it's, it's a nice little comedic moment. Bull waves them both off saying they made more sense when they were drinking. And we, may, we end our scene with the sheriff saying we must have some whiskey around here someplace. So what happens next? Does this mean that Bull won't come help Mississippi in five minutes? Will they find someone who can speak Bullese before it's too late? Will the sheriff find some booze and leave a nice present in Bart Jason's bucket? Find out this and more when we return next time with Elder Pado. Uh, until then, as always, folks, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Support Your Local Podcast. Uh, hit me up with some comments. Tell me what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. Uh, even if it's just to shoot me an email or a coupon for 5% off some, some whippy dip. Uh, you can always email me at SUP, that's S-U-P-P, your local podcast at gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher that you are listening to us on. Uh, it is huge and helpful uh, for us. It's absolutely free for you. Uh, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. But uh, please take the time to like and follow us. Um, if you have a free moment, um, do those things. Uh, again, it's it's hugely helpful for the show. But until we meet again, folks, I love you. Please, please, please support your local podcast. And when his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be? This land called El Dorado. Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow. Ride, boldly ride, the shade replied. If you search for El Dorado, 